Hey guys, I want to welcome you to the weekly Wednesday for the Financial Freedom Newsletter, where every week, every Wednesday, we delve into something inspirational, motivational, something excerpt taken from the Financial Freedom Weekly Newsletter. Wherever you are, if you're listening on Spotify, on iTunes, Google, be sure to click the like, subscribe, share, comment. Without ado, let's get into the show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast episode for the Financial Freedom Podcast. I'm really excited about today's guest, Trevor Goodchild. He's a Facebook ad policy specialist. He's a Facebook alum, really uh, technically savvy. And I love talking to individuals such as himself that understand the infrastructure and how to use it and leverage one's business. So Trevor, welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Christopher. I appreciate it. Yeah. You've worked at Facebook and then Meta and you're, now you're an ad policy specialist and then you, you know, Microsoft, Apple kind of talk, you know, give the yeah, what it's like to work there, um, and then we'll get into all of the um, ideas and topics around this area. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I, I've been working in big tech for a long time. I first got started when I began working for Microsoft during the launch of the Xbox 360, and, oh, that was insane. We were working till 3 a.m. in the morning trying to do tech support because Xbox Live was really the one of the first ever streaming gaming platforms where you could game with other people online across the world. That didn't used to exist, you know, back in the day with the Super Mario Brothers and the Mortal Kombat and you know, the Street Fighter games that I grew up on, right? We didn't have that community online where we didn't have the internet, you know, it was different. And now, once I helped launch the Xbox 360 with Microsoft, I got to see firsthand what that was like. And it was insane. People were trying to call us and ask for technical support on if I can I put peanut butter in the Xbox? Is that covered by the warranty? I'm like, no. Where do you see peanut butter in an Xbox covered by a warranty? Uh, or like store managers uh, trying to call in for support when uh, they were physically assaulted because there was only one Xbox left in the store and everyone's trying to dive for it. And, and uh, it was really interesting to be on the forefront of that. And then on the technical side on, you know, understanding how can you stream a video game live globally, right? That was really interesting to be there. And then the first iPod Nano that was ever released, I was working with Apple offering support for the iPod Nano. And that was really interesting because no one had heard of it. This was before smartphones. Like no one even had heard of anything like an iPod. And then the biggest thing was the iPod Touch, the most advanced device you will ever get in a Palm Pilot. And uh, I remember everyone was so excited because you could kind of like make these janky internet calls with the iPod Touch if you if you figured it out. And uh, and so then I moved on later on to working at Facebook, and it was really interesting because. 
I didn't even apply for the position. And my resume was online somewhere in some kind of, you know, database. And Facebook just called me up. I'm walking downtown in Austin and Facebook calls me on the phone. This is Facebook. We would like to consider you for a position in advertising. I'm like, no, it's not Facebook. They don't call people on the phone. This is a joke. I didn't believe it was real until I walked into the skyscraper and Facebook's logo and letters were across the, the glass, double glass doors. And I walked inside and I went to work at Facebook uh, in ads, then later tech and then later project management. Yeah. And I love this idea because, um, you know, we're run by these uh, big platform, you know, the gatekeepers, especially, you know, the Apple, IO, the App Store, you know, Facebook, YouTube, Google, you know, all of it you know, social media. So, um, you know, one thing is talking about is um, just ads. Why does uh, Facebook ban so many businesses? Well, really, it comes down to economies of scale. You know, on the positive side, when you have economies of scale, it means that there is such a high demand for something that it's cheaper to get because major corporations and companies can buy it in scale and then sell it for cheaper, right? When there's a limited supply of something, like say a Tesla, right, the price goes a lot higher because there isn't as much available. Or looking at something like alternative food, like vegetarian alternatives for meat, right? There's not a lot of them out there when they first began. They were in such small supply that the suppliers charged a whole bunch of money for that. Where, where this connects to Facebook is because Facebook right now, as of this year, has over 3 billion daily active users, the economies of scale is huge. And the problem that has happened is that instead of hiring more people to support more people, because as Facebook has more users, more advertisers, more ads going live, there's less one-on-one -on -one attention. And so Facebook has treated this, their, their ability to handle economy of scale, instead of hiring more human beings, they've actually created more automations. And as a result of that, it's a less human approach. There is a lot lost in translation. Advertisers will get shut down out of nowhere and often they'll think it's a glitch or they'll think it's a bug. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes they have violated policies. But because it's the automation shutting it down, there's not a human being to say, hey, you know, John Smith or, you know, Jennifer, this is why we shut you down. This is specifically the part of your funnel that triggered the bots. And this is how to get active again. They, I think it's a trust issue, too. I think Facebook doesn't trust people. Because, you know, they've been hacked. We've had the Russian hackers and the Cambridge Analytica and all this kind of crazy stuff that Facebook just automatically has a very distrustful state when it comes to Facebook users and advertisers. As a result, these automations are primed more to flag and shut you down than they are to approve. And, and uh, you know, it's, uh, it's really basically because there's no – basically it's users getting rug pulled because – you can be very proficient, but then all of a sudden you, your account is shut down and it's kind of like, how are you going to build a business when they can shut you down at any moment or they can change an algorithm or, you know, what, what do, how do entrepreneurs, you know, reconcile this? Well, you know, the first thing is, is obviously to stay up to date with recent policy changes and things that happen that change the way you advertise on Facebook. You know, one of the biggest changes that happened to Facebook was during 2019, there is a lawsuit for real estate ads because the housing authority and other organizational entities were mad that Facebook was allowing advertisers to use zip code and income to target Facebook users for ads. Now, look, 
I'm all about going local, supporting businesses and things like that. But, you know, on this side, I did side with Facebook, even as huge of a corporation as it is, because what was happening is essentially the results of the lawsuit was Zuckerberg settled out of court for about $4 million, I believe. And then as a result of that, he laid off hundreds of workers, if not thousands, and then replaced them with lower skilled workers that were outsourced to almost sweatshop like conditions. And as a result, the kind of hands-on assistance that you used to get really plummeted. So the advice, which was halfway decent, you know, now it's just garbage. You can't trust any of these people to really give you good guidance on that. But you know, that was one of the things that changed as far as keeping up with policy changes, because what happened after 2019? We had the special ad category for real estate, political, employment ads, things like that, which meant that you have to follow even stricter rules. And if you're running an ad, didn't realize that it happened, didn't realize your real estate ad had to follow specific policies, you could be blindsided. So staying up to date is, is I think, the first pro tip I can offer. The second is to always pre-screen your own ads for policy. I think the focus for most ad agencies is on making conversions, getting ROI. You know, if we're spending $1, can we get at least $2 back? Hopefully more. But what they forget is that Facebook's an ecosystem. You can't apply old school advertising methods to it because it's a private website owned by one dude. As a result, he gets to make the rules. And if you're not aware of those as part of your I guess, advertising strategy. And if you're only focusing on conversions or leads or, or those kind of metrics, and you're not taking into account the possibility of a policy striking you down, then you're just rolling the dice. So I would say creating ads with the intention of not just making conversions, but also to make sure that they're compliant is really important. Here's where advertisers really struggle. So you can read the policies online. The, the Transparency Center, which is the new site for Facebook ad policies. Used to, it was just regular Facebook ad policies. Now they call it the Transparency Center. What they'll do is they'll tell you a bunch of ad policies, but the reality is it's not how they're actually enforced. There's probably like 10,000 more policies out there that the bots are enforcing that people don't realize. That's where it's a little hard, you know, because it's hard for machines to read human context and it's hard for humans to read machine context. This is essentially machine context. So, you know, obviously I can help people with that because I've worked at Facebook and ads tech and project management. And so what I do is I help people by pre-screening their ads before they go live or auditing their funnel in case of a shutdown to identify specifically what part of their funnel is triggering those automations. But there's not very many people out there with that level of expertise. Most people are guessing. Yeah, I love that. And um, one thing I wanted to ask you is, um, you know, you know, here with us live is an ad policy expert who worked at Facebook and Meta and tell us what that was like, what your key takeaways are. Um, it's, re it's really fascinating. So I would have to say working at Facebook and then later when it changed its name to Meta, probably some of the, the best jobs I've ever had, right? It's really nice. Now, the higher up you go, the better they treat you. If you're a little <laughs> lower down, you're not really treated very well, uh, unfortunately. It's just how it, it's, just, it's, a, it's a hierarchical system. You know, when I was working in tech, when I was working with the engineers that 
monitor and create the code for Facebook's website, including the automations that lay the band hammer down, I was treated a lot better than when I was working in ads. Um, it was it was very nice. It was very nice. And then my most recent role last year in project management, I was working with the creator monetization program, helping influencers who had you know anywhere from 100,000 to millions of followers on Facebook. We helped them beta test out new products before they went live to the rest of the public. This is part of how Facebook tries to guard against complete I guess glitches and shutdowns as they try to roll out a feature to a select smaller group of the population first. And then after that, they rolled it out to the public. So I got to test out stuff like stars on reels, things like that, digital collectibles, connecting NFTs to profiles. It was a lot of fun. Now, working at Meta, when I first got started working in ads, you know, I supported everyone from small SMBs to celebrities to Fortune 500 companies like Toyota. And I got to see inside their ads and I got to help them optimize the ads and also help them if they got a shutdown. How do we navigate around this hurdle? But while working in the ads, it was a really toxic environment socially. Um, it was hard to work there. I actually had to file a restraining order against one of my coworkers. Um, it was insane. But at the same time, it was cool to be inside of Facebook and to see that firsthand from the new things that rolled out. I think I really enjoyed the tech position next when I was supporting Facebook servers and remote access tools. So basically, if an engineer was trying to run some code and it made the website crash, I was troubleshooting that. Or let's say Adidas ran you know, 50,000 ads in 30 seconds on a Black Friday or a Christmas or a New Year's promo. And then the website's like, oh, we can't handle this many ads. The servers are crashing. I'd be the one getting the phone call 3 a.m. in the morning on my Facebook iPhone. And then I'd have to call Menlo Park and be like, hey, guys, you know, the servers are down. Facebook's lost like $10 million for the 30 seconds that ads globally have not been live. Can you fix this? And, you know, of course, it's California, so it's even earlier. And they're having to sleepily write some code, get Facebook established online again. It was really interesting seeing Facebook from a, an engineering perspective um, and yeah, and then after that, the project management with the creative monetization program. It's a really interesting place to work. But the thing is, is that Mark's old slogan of move fast and break things, I think they've modified that because so many things are broken. Yeah, it's quite interesting just because you like tech and it's, uh, you know, when you're on the cutting edge of things, you know, that's when things are not working and you have to figure things out and things are not smooth and uh, mainstream and for, you know, businesses that really grow and thrive on these these uh, advertising platforms um it's yeah really exciting yeah uh, it was definitely exciting <laughs> yeah so you know quick question is um so uh you know running facebook ads i know a lot of people they uh, they do organic um you know they're interested in facebook ads um, so what are some common mistakes to avoid when running facebook ads i would say one of the biggest mistakes i see people make is just making outrageous claims because you know, when I was working with Harv Ecker, uh, his social media marketing agency, author of The Good Millionaire, you know, he had this problem a lot as well because you need to taught people how to make money. But the problem is, is that if Facebook doesn't feel it sounds realistic, they're going to want to ban the ad. And so understanding how Facebook sees your ad before creating it is important. 
on one of my blogs in my blog jetskishaman.com i talk about how do the automations actually view your ads now facebook likes to present itself as a very progressive organization hip cool with urban youth and progressiveness and all that great stuff and and being pro-black and and not being racist like other platforms could be or previous presidents or whatever <laughs> inside Facebook, uh, in the buildings, they have black lives matter on the wall. Like, you know, they, they seem really friendly for that, but unfortunately the way the, the automations, the machines that get to make those decisions on if your ad is going to be live or if it's going to be shut down with the bam hammer, the way they are programmed, it's like, it's like leave it to beaver in 1950s where you've got, you know, What's Warren Ward Ward? I think his name is Ward, the the father figure. He's he's in his leather chair. He's got like the the poodle at his feet. He's got the newspaper. He's got the tobacco pipe. And he's looking at the newspaper. He's like, well, this this ad is this this looks like a scam. You know, if, if you look at it sounds silly, but it's so true. If you look at Facebook ads from the perspective of an old conservative man. Like that's pretty much what you want to do <laughs> because the thing is that if you like, I'll take Harvecker for instance, like I'm sure he has helped business owners make a lot of money on Facebook. I'm sure some of them have gotten to six figures or higher, but it doesn't matter if that's true. People get really hung up on, well, I know this is true. I have the figures to back it up. It's not a research paper. You're not getting evaluated in a postgraduate work here. This is a machine. The machine is going to be saying, okay, you're promising people the six-figure income within a month? That doesn't sound realistic at all, right? So you have to kind of look at it through the eyes of Facebook's ultra-conservative realism in the sense that if you sound sensational, if you sound like you're promising too much, they're going to think it's a scam. Even if it's true, it doesn't matter if you actually have made this happen in reality. It's what's the perception, right? That's the important thing. People get caught up like, well, I know it's true. I know I've helped me and Jenny Craig and Richard Simmons have uh, have helped 500 people lose, you know, 30 pounds in three days. You know, <laughs> maybe maybe it's true. Maybe you have done that, but it's not about what is real. It's about what the perception of that is from Facebook's point of view. And so, understanding that, you know, if you have a friend who is always doubting things or just a real skeptic, you tell them about something like, "No, that didn't happen." Right? We all have friends like that at times. If you had a friend like that, kind of, you know, view Facebook through those lenses and realize that you have to be super conservative with how you make promises for the results that you're getting. If you make a giant promise with little effort and a giant result, that's going to probably get flagged as spam or scammy. That's interesting because, uh, you know, I played around with it and it was like one is like especially health and money. They're really like they're very like. You know watch and then um and then so what are some best practices if uh and face if facebook ad is rejected and worse if your uh facebook ad account is disabled so the first step is is just to stop what i see one of the most common mistakes ad agencies make is they'll get an ad rejected and they'll immediately resubmit it again oh it must be facebook's mistake i'm perfect i have made no mistake i have violated no policies you know i mean i've worked with social media marketing teams of major celebrities like tony robbins you know uh or mari smith i've worked with her and 
you know, it's funny because it doesn't matter how big or how small someone is. Some of my clients spend over uh, $8 million a month on Facebook ads. And though the first thing they always say is, oh, I know I'm not violating the policies. Facebook just is a bug or something else. And then I look and I'm like, oh, no, you really screwed up. But the thing is, they, they dig the hole deeper because what they do, a lot of agencies, because they're under the gun, you know, they've got clients and their client, the business that they're running ads for, they'll, why are my ads live? What's going on? I'm not making money. Get it done. Right. We all know clients that are like that. The problem is, is that 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 impatience leads to further pitfalls, because here's what happens. If you have a rejected Facebook ad, maybe it's the creative, maybe it's the copy, maybe it's the headline, maybe it's the landing page, maybe it's the privacy policy, right? Maybe you didn't include the GDPR. Maybe there's something very vital you left out and you're not, they're not going to tell you this, but what happens is when the ad gets rejected, don't immediately appeal it because the problem with that is if you don't know why you've been rejected you have very a very weak argument for getting reactivated you're going to say facebook reactivate me just because i've asked versus another approach of saying hey i've looked at my ad i potentially see maybe this is why i've been shut down i've learned from this experience i promise i won't break this rule again that being considered i fixed what i've you know done wrong please allow me to advertise again right that approach works better than you know my my dog died my wife left me. My ads are rejected. It's Facebook's fault. Make it live right now. Like that's the the indignant <laughs> reply. Doesn't doesn't get you much traction because Facebook ad support not only are they outsourced and very few of them have a, a good expertise in ads, but they also like bartenders. They get the bottom of the barrel with the people that type in all caps and just yell and all the time. And, and if they could do something for you, they're definitely not going to do it if you're mad at them. But like, here's also the huge risk. Here's another flag that happens. This is a relatively new flag, past few years. It popped out around the end of 2019. It's called circumventing systems. The circumventing system flag is one of the biggest banes of advertisers because it's this generic ass flag. It doesn't tell you what system you circumvented specifically or what you did to mess it up. But here's the problem. It's a domino effect. You know, look up the domino principle. One thing, the butterfly effect, right? It's the same thing. So you get an ad rejected, you immediately try to appeal it, or you just duplicate it, run a new ad that's exactly the same with the same flags in it. Well, now Facebook's automations are saying, oh, this ad agency already got shut down for this ad. Now they're trying to run it again. They're trying to sneak around our system. Now they're circumventing systems. Now you got two flags. You got the original flag that shut down your ad. And now because you keep submitting the same ad again, you have the circumventing systems flag. And then like one more strike, now your ad account's disabled or something. So being able to, I think a best practice is if you have an ad rejected, look at it through Facebook's lens of, you know, 1950s rule of domesticity of, you know, this conformism from back in the day. Is it realistic? Is it promising too much? Is it targeting people too personally, right? Go through a checklist, look at your ad, look at the creative, look at the headline, look at everything and say, if I wanted to shut this down, how would I, right? It's similar to uh, what's called a postmortem in startups, right? The postmortem is you kind of do this kind of graveyard service for your business. If if a competitor was trying to shut me down, how would they do that, right? What what went wrong for the Challenger launch? Let's do a postmortem. Well, the O-rings burned out. They should have fixed them beforehand, but no one does that beforehand. If you do a postmortem as a premortem and you say, hey, if someone is trying to destroy me, 
how would they defeat me? How would they, you know, win and steal my audience? What would they do to destroy my brand? If you did that in the sense, very few people do this. If you did that kind of in a Facebook context of a, a postmortem after an ad is rejected, see, what are all the ways that Facebook could shut me down and why? Right? No one does this. They just like, it's, it's more of like, poor me. Facebook's the devil. <laughs> why can't I get my ads live again? But when you look at it more strategically and analytically, you can have more of a chance of discovering what that reason was. Or you could hire me, obviously, and I can do it because I work with the engineers that created these automations. But if you don't know me or haven't heard of me, then doing that in the sense of if you pretending that you wanted to shut down your ad, how would you shut it down? I think that's a good practice to do. So do you recommend, I'm always in this uh, camp of um, just kind of uh, diversification, risk diversification, especially after 2020, and uh, basically uh, not putting all your eggs into one bat. Like basically, I see all these influencers that got like millions on one uh, platform, and then but kind of like diversification into diff different channels and different ad accounts and kind of limiting like 10% spent towards ads, you know, the rest kind of organic. Um, talk about that kind of so that you're not putting all your eggs into one basket. I mean, that's a great idea. I would say diversify your traffic sources as well. Don't rely just on Facebook. Do Google ads as well. Do SEO as well. You know, I would, I would definitely do that. Do lead gen ads as well. Because here's also a really cool thing. If you have your audience's email addresses, it doesn't matter which ad account you're using. You can use a friend's ad account. But if you have an, a list of emails, I think over a thousand, I think that's the first, um, I think that's the first level. It's not a hundred, I think it's a thousand. You can upload that in a spreadsheet to Facebook as a custom audience and then just target exactly those people without risking Facebook taking that away. I'm a huge fan of email marketing. I'm also a sci-fi author. My first book, Zero Point Horizon, book one of the Jack Ransom Chronicles, got to number three spot last year on Amazon for cyberpunk and sci-fi, right? I, I run Facebook ads for that, but I also collect emails so that I own my own platform. I have a Facebook private group, but I also have an email newsletter and a Facebook for whatever reason, uh, fingers crossed, ever tries to shut down my sci-fi business from my sci-fi books, and my sci-fi podcasts, and all the stuff I'm doing there, they can't take my audience because I have them on email, right? Email will always be there. Now, I don't rely just on email. I like to rely on a diversification of sources with different types of ads, whether it's YouTube, SEO, and Facebook, and email marketing, right? So having all of those different sources helps you. But as far as Facebook ad policy goes, my general philosophy, and this is how I run my business managers, and I've got, I don't know how many business managers I have. I have a lot. What I do is I like to separate out the product per ad account, right? I won't run multiple products on the same ad account. Now, this is different if you're doing dynamic product ads and you have like uh, an eBay shop or a Shopify thing. If you have like a hundred types of products, you, having 100 ad accounts is not going to is it's going to be more more worry than it's worth and in that case i was separated by brand like say you're doing e-com and you're selling you know what i used to sell which is cooking supplies when i was doing an e-com business and you're selling baby products right a uh, very popular e-com product i would separate those product types by different ad accounts that's what i would do is i would i would separate different types of products or services by ad account and not put them all in one business 
or also you can silo business managers from each other so that you don't have any common people in between them and then if one goes down the rest don't uh, i've done this with a swedish research marketing firm they advertised uh political ads on people's opinions on politics but they also were doing consumer product surveys like coke or pepsi right things like that and when they found me everything they had was shut down because they were running everything on the same business manager same ad account the political ads and the consumer survey product ads and as a result it all got shut down what i taught them to do was to silo the political ads and their own business manager and then the consumer survey coke or pepsi type survey ads and another business manager so that if the political ones did risk their uh, integrity of their ad account getting shut down it wouldn't stop the other ads for coke or pepsi type surveys from running so they could perpetually keep them running so having not all your eggs in one basket having multiple business managers and multiple ad accounts uh with different people on them is definitely a safer option than having them all in one place yeah yeah and then talk about actually um with uh, now AI and you know generative AI and you know deep fakes, how is um, or kind of what are your thoughts with um, with social media marketing and how that's going to intersect with AI? Oh man, well, <laughs> I mean AI is huge, just like the new uh, Silicon Valley gold rush. But I think that what we're also going to see is a demand for a new sector of the market to open up where people want to pay to make sure it is a human voice, not an AI one. I think that's going to happen. Different water fountains for AI versus humans. There's going to be, there's going to be some of that. But also, I think when it comes down to ad fatigue, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of, uh, I'm curious how Facebook slash Meta is going to do with this, but there's probably going to be a lot of people that integrate, uh, you know, apps like chat GPT with their APIs with Facebook to probably do massive blasts of like thousands of ads all at the same time, AI created. I don't even know what Facebook's going to do because that's going to really overload their servers. You just have to see what's going to happen uh, with that. But I think when it comes to if you're a smart marketer, right, if you're someone who is trying to stay ahead of the curve, understand that ad fatigue is huge. People are so tired, especially millennials, but Gen Zers even more so are so tired of all the pain points being kicked of being made to feel like shit you know, with an ad. Are you stupid, dumb, and fat? Click learn more and we'll solve your problems. Like, I don't want to be called that in an ad. Like, yeah. like, damn it. Can you tone it down? And so I think what we're seeing now is the rise of influencer marketing. You know, Kim Kardashian is one of the folks in social media that really kind of trailblazed the way for influencer marketing. Why do people like influencer marketing? It's because they know who the person is. It's more humanized. It's not some faceless corporation speaking to them. It's, a, it's one person who has specific values that they either share or they don't. And based on that, they want to make a decision on buying. So with ad fatigue being so high right now, I don't think AI is going to help that. I think, in fact, it's going to make the voice of your ads more generic. If you've ever experimented with ChatGPT, you know, I do prompt engineering as well. Um, I'm a prompt engineer for ChatGPT. If if you if you do that, a lot of times, if you're not doing further iterations of your prompt afterwards, it's going to sound like a damn children's cookbook instruction manual, right? There's not a lot of tone variation. You can try to say, you know, write as if you are, you know, 
Eugene Swartz or some famous copywriter like Robert Bly. You can do stuff like that, but it only goes so far. What is your brand voice? How do you connect with your clientele? You know, Russell Brunson and the value letter and the attractive character, he talks about, you know, being able to represent a character with the brand that you have. Look at, you know, um, Geico and the, and the gecko that they have. Look at flow from progressive. Like these are very recognizable figures in advertising. People like that stuff, right? They're, they're attached to it because it's more human. So with that, already happening before this AI gold rush is, is, you know, started. I don't think AI is going to help there unless it gets more advanced. Maybe chat GBT seven or eight or nine or 10 will be so, so flawless. You'll never know a machine wrote it, but right now where we're at, you still need to humanize your voice. You still need to create that relationship because the future of marketing is customization of how uniquely is your message tailored to each person. Like, Chatbots do a great job of that, you know, being able to have your own brand voice customized via specific prompts that people are entering versus one message for everyone, right? So I don't know. It, it depends on how much AI can iterate its voice and its tone to match your target audience. I don't know. It's so new right now. I don't know. And also it's difficult if you use something like Ad Espresso and you integrate that with your API and Facebook ads. Facebook doesn't like third-party integrations. Like they say they do. They make all these flowery articles about how they support that. They don't really. They want their own version of each technology that you're integrating with Facebook to be their own. So even if you are integrating other stuff with Facebook through AI, you're still running the risk of a shutdown because Facebook simply doesn't like any other company. Their goal is to keep you on Facebook. And the more you get off of it or integrate with someone else, the less they're going to be friendly towards you, you know? Yeah. I'm just waiting for this uh, day that the headline is um, like a, some rogue country, like Russia or like North Korea or something, you know, weaponizes AI and just basically targets basically the social media platform, the big platforms and basically overwhelms them or, and then basically, uh, you know, the government's like, oh, we have to regulate AI. We have to shut it down. You know, <laughs> all this can be really interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't want to see no Skynet rise of the machines happen. I mean, you know, it, I never understood this. So we've got iRobot, Terminator, Total Recall, The Matrix. Have not these films warned us about trying to make a superior predator and, and survival of the fittest? Like, come on, guys. If if something is smarter than us and can self-replicate, what 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 are we trying to do here? Yeah. Um how can people contact you, follow you? I really enjoyed this conversation and uh, just behind the scenes and just kind of, uh, you know, the, all the different ways of, um, you know, how you can use ads and, you know, leveraging this new technology. Yeah. Well, if you'd like my help um, to audit your funnels to make sure there's no hidden landmines in there that will get you completely shut down or help you relaunch after a ban, you can contact me at Trevor at trevorwgoodchild.com. That's my email address. Uh, you can also just simply Google Trevor W. Goodchild. I'm pretty easy to find online. Also, my blog where you'll find a bunch of free uh, articles on how to navigate Facebook ad policies is jetskishaman.com. Just like you have a jet ski, you're on the on the lake in your jet ski and you meet a shaman, <laughs> a witch doctor. Um, there's a funny story behind that. But uh, yeah, jetskishaman.com, a uh, bunch of free resources on there. I've got 
guides on how to navigate personal attributes, policies, and other types that are just free to use. But you can also contact me to help prevent shutdowns. Because if you insure your car in case of an accident, why not insure your moneymaker, which is your ad account? And I help with that. Yeah, for all the audience out there listening, Trevor, for coming on, very knowledgeable. And uh, all his resources will be in the links and show notes. Be sure to check that out. And with that, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Christopher. It was fun to be on here today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I hope you really enjoyed that wonderful, inspirational, motivational piece. Again, if you, wherever you are listening, if you liked it, be sure to like, comment, share, subscribe. We're on everywhere. Spotify, iTunes, Google, Amazon, Audible. And without much ado, be sure to thank this show's sponsors and we'll see you next week.